Welcome to our newest Hearts Unite the Globe hug patrons. Annie Olchek, we sincerely appreciate your support. Thank you for joining our community and making a difference through Patreon. Judy Miller, thank you for being our first Buzzsprout supporter for Bereave But Still Me. Buzzsprout started a new program where you can actually support the podcast of your choice. There are so many ways you can support Hug. All you have to do is visit our website, heartsunitetheglobe.com, to see how you too can help empower, educate, and enrich the lives of individuals in the CHD and bereaved communities. Thank you all for your continued support. Welcome to Heart to Heart with Anna, featuring your host, Anna Jaworski. Our program is a program designed to empower the CHD or congenital heart defect community. Our program may also help families who have children who are chronically ill by bringing information and encouragement to you in order to become an advocate for your community. Now, here is Anna Jaworski. Hello, friends. Welcome to Heart to Heart with Anna for our, one of our encore presentations. Today we'll be talking with working dads versus stay-at-home dads. With today's difficult economic times, this is something that so many of us have to think about. And so many people are unemployed right now that being a stay-at-home parent may not be a matter of choice. It may be a matter of necessity. So sit back and enjoy today's show. Welcome to the 10th episode of the second season of Heart to Heart with Anna, a show for the congenital heart defect community. Our purpose is to empower members of our community with resources, support, and advocacy information. One thing is certain. Children with congenital heart defects are surviving in greater numbers than ever before. As we've stated before in this program, the number of adults living with congenital heart defects, or CHDs, is now greater than the number of babies being born each year with CHDs. While the number of children surviving their CHDs has changed, one thing hasn't changed. That is, the question that parents must face after their children are diagnosed with a CHD, especially if the CHD is a critical congenital heart defect, requiring surgery within the first days, weeks, or months of life. How will this baby affect the lifestyle of the family? It's a given that when a couple has a baby, their lives change forever. Even going from having one child to two or from two children to three means changes must occur. But imagine how much greater the change will be for parents of children who have a baby born with a CHD. Can the baby survive being in daycare or with a babysitter? How critical is it for one parent to stay home with the baby? What about insurance? What about the family's quality of life? This is something the Journal of Pediatric Healthcare examined in an article published in 2010 entitled, The Meaning of Cost for Families of Children with Congenital Heart Disease. Semi-structured interviews were conducted with parents of children with various degrees of CHD complexity and socioeconomic status currently admitted for CHD surgery at a large regional hospital. The researchers determined that there were two major areas of cost burden for families. One was lifestyle change, and the other was uncertainty. Cost went beyond the consideration of money. The major areas discussed were financial, emotional, and family burden. The two factors that seemed to stress family most were the level of complexity of the heart defect and the socioeconomic status of the family. When families found out the baby was going to be born with a congenital heart defect, they tended to change their spending habits in order to prepare financially for the baby's birth and the probable increase in medical bills. The researchers recommended doctors talk about these costs with parents. Not just the increase in medical bills, but the cost to the family regarding possible lifestyle changes and emotional and financial stress on the family unit, especially given the level of uncertainty the families will face with having a CHD child. Today we'll talk with two heart dads who have faced the cost of raising a child with a congenital heart defect. How has having a CHD child affected their decision to work outside the home or to have one parent stay at home? To discuss this topic today, our guests are... Heart Dads, Chris Perez and Michael Madsen. Chris Perez is a heart dad to Nolan, a twin who was born with hypoplastic left heart syndrome. Nolan had the Norwood procedure at seven days of age, the Glenn procedure at seven months old, and continues to receive physical, occupational, and speech therapies weekly. 
Chris hopes to use his experience as a heart dad to educate others and give back to the community. For his 32nd birthday, he did 32 random acts of kindness in order to promote CHD awareness. He lives in North Carolina with his wife and three sons, including Grant, Nolan's twin of 19 months, and Hudson, who is four years old. He works in administration for a large healthcare system and is the author of a blog for Heart Dad called Half Heart Whole Life. Welcome to Heart to Heart with Anna, Chris. Thank you so much. I'm really happy to be here. I love your show, and I'm honored to be here with you. Oh, well, thank you. I love your blog. Did I get it right? Is it Half Heart Whole Life? <laughs> yes, absolutely. Half Heart Whole Life, a heart blog for dad. That's correct. Well, I really have enjoyed reading your blog, and I was so impressed with it. Now, Chris, one of the entries that I really liked was the map that you made for taking care of Nolan. That was mm-hmm. really impressive. <laughs> I really liked Thank that. You. <laughs> I can't take credit for it. That was definitely something that I came across in the presentation at work on a conference call, and someone showed that, and I said, ooh, I need to borrow this. <laughs> I think it would be a great thing to share with people. And so I set my own, and it was quite a project. Well, yes, it was. When I saw all of the different people who are involved in helping to take care of Nolan, it was really quite impressive. It's definitely a big undertaking, for sure. It is. Yes, it is. Do you think that a map like that would actually help parents to decide if they can stay at home or if they can return to work or if they need to stay at home due to the level of complexities of all of the different therapies that have to be attended and the different doctor's appointments? I think it could be a help initially for sure. I think the map that I created, the the purpose behind it was to show kind of all that it takes to care for Nolan. It kind of branches off into his physicians and thoughts about the future, maybe associated with schooling and, you know, whether his teachers are going to be CPR certified. It really builds from that central concept of having a child with a CHD. And I think it's really helpful just to see kind of what you're getting into. But I think it's also good to keep up with because in Nolan's case, a lot of the things that we've added to that map came along as we progressed with his care. When he received a G-tube and we started going to different therapies for him and therapies were added or taken away. So that map continually changes. But I do think it'd be really helpful just to see kind of the, the vastness of, of what you're getting into as being a CHD parent. I think it would be helpful for parents to see maps like that for different kids to see how it's different. Like for us, we were really lucky. My background is in speech pathology. So when Alex did have some speech problems, I just did therapy with him all day long every day. I didn't have to take him to a speech therapist. And luckily for me, he responded fine with me and I didn't have to take him to somebody else. But for somebody who doesn't have that kind of background, speech therapy is definitely something that would be in their repertoire. Also, we were really lucky we didn't have those feeding issues. Having a G-tube is very complicated. I just did a show on that, and it really helped to help me understand the complexities of having a G-tube. That is really a lifestyle change when you have a child with a G-tube, wouldn't you say? Absolutely. My wife and I were having a conversation about this just very recently, that now that we are kind of between the Glen and the Fontan surgery, which is probably about a year or so in the future, right now our biggest difficulty with Nolan is this G-tube and how we're going to get him to eat and eventually get off this G-tube because, you know, as of right now with the repairs on his heart, his function looks great. And so now that's the difficulty is how are we going to get him to eat and get him to be less dependent on this tube? And it's, it's definitely a big lifestyle change and it is just about as big as the heart condition itself, for sure. Well, it was just so demanding. When I was talking to these mothers who have had to deal with the G-tube, for one mother, every two hours, she was having to do the bolus feeds, and the baby's tummy would get upset, and so they were having to pat the baby and try and help him to get through it because he'd had a Nissen fund application, so he couldn't vomit, and he was really uncomfortable. I had no idea how involved some issues were for children who have G-tubes. I can't imagine trying to feed two babies. How do you do it? I do what I can. A lot of the credit definitely goes to my wife. She is a super mom, a super woman, where she juggles three children at home and, and does a stellar job of it. She really takes on the effort of taking Nolan to therapies and often three kids along with her on these therapy trips and uh, really goes the extra mile to make sure that 
Nolan's nutritional needs are met, and even looking for opportunities where we can try different things to get him to eat or try different ways to keep his nutrition up. And sometimes we sit the twins next to each other, and Grant, who is our heart-healthy child, he eats, and sometimes Nolan gets a little jealous and wants to try eating (laughs) just like his brother, and that really helps us out a lot. So Mm -hmm. we definitely play off that jealousy when we can. It's definitely a, a process. Some days are better than others. If you can imagine trying to travel, we recently did a, about a 10-day trip up to the Northeast a couple weeks back, and traveling with a G-tube is bag in and of itself with all sorts of fees <laughs> and equipment and things like that. Right, right. It complicates everything, having a G-tube. I had no idea how difficult it was until I was talking to these moms. And I've had friends who have had G-tubes with their babies, but they never really talked about it very much. I think maybe they were afraid other people wouldn't understand but doing a whole show on G-tubes, that's all that we talked about. And it was very enlightening to me. And I could see why the mother that who I showcased during that show was so eager to get her child off of the G-tube and how this led her to find this program overseas and the wonderful results that she had. So if you haven't heard that show, I suggest you listen to it. But since we're talking about working versus stay-at-home parents, so I know that you returned to work. But it sounds like your wife is a stay-at-home mom? That's correct. Yes, she's a stay-at-home mom. We were both actually working when we found out we were going to have twins. I had just recently started a new job, and that's how I kind of got into the healthcare system. Prior to that, I was unemployed for 17 months during that really, really difficult economic time that it seems like everybody was touched by. I started this new job. We found out we were having twins, and we were freaking out. because We were like, oh, my gosh, where are we going to fit them? And how are we going to get all this food? And and that really was all the important stuff. And later on, when we found out about Nolan's HLHS diagnosis, all that kind of stuff went away. And uh, we eventually (laughs) started, yeah, that stuff didn't become important anymore. And we we needed to figure out what we were going to do because we knew that we weren't going to be able to put Nolan in child care. And even if we could, we couldn't afford it. My wife or I would work with our entire salaries going to child care. And that was a challenge for us. And so we oh, felt yeah, because like... you have three children for child care. It's not just one. You would have had three yeah. in child care. Sure, yeah. Nobody's waiting to dump copious amounts of money on me. So uh, you know, we, we had to kind of make it work. <laughs> My wife bravely chose to stay home with them, and she's done a wonderful job of it for sure. Well, I'm sure she'll appreciate hearing that from you. It's always nice to be appreciated. But you did have to go back to work, and it sounds like you were home for 17 months. What was the hardest part about having to be a working dad? Being home, when I lost my previous job and was unemployed for so long, I I had a chance to spend with my oldest son, who at the time was five months old. And, you know, I I basically got to see him grow up. And it was a lot of great opportunities that I know not a lot of dads get to experience. When my wife gave birth to the twins and we knew there were surgeries coming up, I definitely did it once. I'll do it again with the three. I know it'll be harder, but it'll probably be easier for me to segue back into that. But the challenge with being a working dad, definitely with a heart baby, is completely different. There's a level of detachment that you kind of feel throughout the day because you have to get to work and you have to focus on work, for Mm -hmm. sure. And I stay busy at work, and I kind of sometimes get really buried in it. It's easy to get either completely distracted by work to where you don't think about what's going on at home, or you let everything that's going on at home consume you and you get distracted from work, which is not good either. So the challenge is really kind of finding that balance and communicating with other people like, this is this is my life, this is the reality of my life. And there will be an occasion where I may not be completely with you in the room and you kind of have to snap me back into things. And uh, everybody seemed to have been really understanding about it. It's really interesting, the level of detachment. That's not something I've heard people talk about before, but I remember when I was a teacher, which was before I had children, I always felt like when I walked into the door of my classroom, everything about my personal life stayed outside that door, and my entire focus needed to be on my students and on my work. And I can't imagine how hard that would be if I had a heart baby at home. It's part of you. Yeah, it is. (laughs) It was really hard initially to go back to work. I went back to work a lot earlier than I had anticipated. I was starting to run out of days off to take. I I had to go back begrudgingly, and I had some challenges, really, with uh, I I don't think I was mentally prepared for it. My son got out of surgery, and his chest was open. It took multiple attempts to close his chest, and he was still there, and we couldn't bring any of our kids with us to the hospital, so there was a lot of running around and 
a lot of getting people to watch our kids so we can go to be with Nolan at the hospital because he was there for two months in recovery. I came back and I was not prepared to kind of deal with coworkers and the healthcare system and with anything. I wasn't ready for life, for sure. Um, and I've definitely blogged about it before. And, I, you know, I try to be as honest as possible. And I like to say that I, I came back like a mix of a grizzly bear and the Incredible Hulk. I was not pleasant and I wasn't you know, ready to kind of deal with people. And the minute somebody said, oh, man, I'm so tired today, I'd be like, yeah, you don't know what tired is. <laughs> you want to know what tired is? And <laughs> find myself just kind of locking myself in my office just for the sake of everybody else. <laughs> and uh, it, it, that was a struggle for me. It really was a challenge to kind of prepare and to reintegrate myself back into the life that I had before the twins came along. It sounds to me like you experienced what I think every parent experiences, and that is a bit of post-traumatic stress disorder. Sure. We experience such a horrible trauma having to hand our babies over to a surgeon that I think people don't recognize how much of that stays with you. And for, you know, mamas, we become mama tiger or mama bear, just like what you're describing. I would never have considered myself the Incredible Hulk, but for a guy I could see (laughs) where you could feel that way, where you're so desperate to take care of things and G-tubes and open-heart surgeries and possible infections and complications, they're outside your realm of what you can take care of. Mm -hmm. That's frustrating. It was a frustration for sure. Yeah, and I think that the hardest part about that is that we want control. You know, we want it all to be where we can have a say about it. And for a lot of these things, we don't have a say. And that's a hard thing to deal with. I think your feelings were completely normal for heart parents, Mm -hmm. but I think that people who aren't in the heart world really probably don't get it. No, they don't, for sure. And that's one of the struggles is even working in healthcare, most folks didn't really get a grasp of what we had been going through. You know, you get a lot of the comments, which I'm sure lots of the heart parents that are listening right now have heard the, oh, but he's going to be fine now, right? Or, oh, is it like a simple hole in the heart? No, it's not. It's it's much more complex and serious than that. And I tried to get people to understand that at that time, at any given moment, he could be taken away from us. And that was the types of things that were weighing on my mind, not so much like, did I finish this dumb report by Friday? Um, That was seemingly the furthest (laughs) thing from my mind. But I knew that there was no way that was going to fly for a long period of time at work. So I had to kind of wrap that back together. And if people didn't understand, they just didn't understand. And if they wanted to understand, I'd be more than happy to tell them. And that Mm -hmm. was the way it was going to be. I think that's a really good point. And that's something that you address somewhat throughout your blog is some of the feelings that you experience and some of the things that you're going through as an HLHS dad. I really love that, that you're so open about it. And you do give people a bird's eye view of what it is that you're experiencing, some of the highs and some of the lows as well. And I think that having to go to work, like you said, knowing you have reports due or knowing you have people you have to meet with, that's a stress. No matter if you have a heart child or not, that's a stress. Absolutely. But having the Absolutely. additional stressors of, oh, no, he pulled his tube out, or, oh, no, there's a doctor's <laughs> appointment today. Now what are they going to tell us? And I can't be there with my wife. And those are additional stressors that a lot of other people don't understand, and they're invisible. Nobody knows yes. what's in your yeah. mind. And it's really not something you want to burden your coworkers with or your boss with every single day. No, not at all. I'm glad that you really put it to kind of an invisible problem because it's easy to keep that to yourself because everybody's got something they have going on in their lives. I'm sure there's lots of coworkers that have lots of places they need to be and lots of issues related to child care and things like that. There's lots of times where I sit at work and think to myself, right now my wife is trying to throw three kids into a van and drive 40 minutes to Uptown Charlotte to get them all into appointments and they're probably going to be screaming their heads off and running all over the place, and there's no way to help her. There's nothing I can do because I have to sit in a meeting or I have certain amounts of things planned or I just can't be away from work that long. And it is. It's just a struggle. I wish I could snap my fingers and make it all easier, but I think we all know that's not how life works, unfortunately. No, but it sounds to me that over time you've learned to compartmentalize your life. Is that a way that you think you could describe it, where you almost have to train your mind that while you're in this situation, you're only going to think about work. And when you have a 10-minute break, then if you want to call home, you can call home and find out how things are going on. But then when that 10 minutes is up, it's back to work. Is that how you function? Yes, definitely in a way that's how I function. I think it's healthy 
for me, and this is just me personally, I think everybody's different. I found that it's actually the position that I've been working in lately that I have a little bit of a longer commute to work in the morning. I stayed completely busy throughout the day. It's kind of go, go, go. And it's great for me because it allows me, it forces me, I should say, to focus more on work. I get there. I know exactly what I have to do for the day. And I know that I have to be on this unit talking to these people. So my focus needs to be on that because I know within an hour I've got to go somewhere else and change my focus. And if my mind is elsewhere, then the day is not going to be successful at all. And it's really helped me. It's kind of forced me to compartmentalize a little bit. And I think that's really been healthy for me because sometimes when I really start to think about Noah's heart condition and things with our family, and then you start to think about, you start to drift a little bit. Then you you get the, you know, what was me? Why did this have to happen to my family? To I wish we had more money. To I wish we had a maid and a au pair and all sorts of things like that. <laughs> you know, your mind starts to drift to, I wish I had a genie, and if I had a genie, I'd wish all these crazy <laughs> things to make life better. And then suddenly it's 4 o'clock and you did nothing with your day. It's really helped me focus. And then I know that when I leave work, I turn on the back-to-home switch, and I know that when I get home, I'm going to help with the kids, and this has to happen and that has to happen, and I'm really focused on that. Because as soon as I get home, I don't think about work at all. The work phone goes off. I don't look at the email. Mm-hmm. I go home and I'm home. And that's my job at that time. So do you think it helps you to compartmentalize knowing that your wife is at home with the kids and they probably couldn't be in anyone else's better care? <laughs> Absolutely, for sure. I know she has it under control. I know that there are days where it is an immense challenge. I know there's days where she gets tired. She is for sure a hero for lots of different people, myself included that she just keeps keeps on keeping on. I know she's got everything under control. That's good for me. Um, I can get to work, and I can know everything is going to be okay. And the great thing, too, is I work with some really great people to where if there was something that happened where I needed to step in, then they would be okay with that. They understand everything that's kind of going on and how important those things are to me, but also reassure them, like, this is not going to be an immense distraction at work. Chris, what role did insurance play in your decision to be a working dad? A big one, for sure. Uh, medical costs, I, I wish I can begin to even wrap my head around the costs associated with having a, an HLHS child, uh, much less three children, period. It is, you know, there, you're talking five therapy appointments a week on top of different doctor's appointments and all sorts of different things, and, you're, you know, you're regular uh, pediatrician checkups, and they want to send them for all sorts of things, and, and these things cost money. And so going to work and kind of being part of the health, I work for the healthcare system that provides the care for Nolan. And so it's actually really great to be a part of that system. So that was part of what helped me with the decision to go back to work and, and to stay where I was. But yeah, definitely the healthcare and the health insurance is an important part. There's lots of things out there, Medicaid, and we're, and we're blessed to have that for Nolan. But you know, you definitely need to have that kind of, <laughs> it's good to have that primary insurance for him. And we've had lots of struggles with people billing things incorrectly. And that's yet another thing that my wife does on a routine basis. And, and she is amazing with that because I can't even comprehend half of what's going on with it. But it definitely plays an important role. We felt like that was something we needed to have. And when you get those statements that say this is not a bill and it's like $700,000 and you want to fall over, I can't, I can't imagine what those types of things look like if you don't have insurance. Right, right. I feel exactly like you do. My husband is also in the medical field. He's a nurse. And we got those bills, too. <laughs> and, yeah, yeah you want to fall out of your chair. They're very scary. <laughs> I added up Alex's first two surgeries, and it was a quarter of a million dollars. If we hadn't had insurance, it would have bankrupted us. I don't know how families do it who don't have medical insurance. So I don't either. I know that that was something that was of major importance to us as a family of an HLHS baby, too, was that we felt so blessed that we had good medical insurance for Alex. Well, Chris, what is the best advice that you have for parents who might both be working but just found out that they're expecting a baby with a complex heart defect like HLHS. Really the best advice I give for people who find out about this diagnosis and are about to have their HLHS baby is to, number one, and this goes for everything outside of whether you're going to go back to work or what am I going to do or how am I going to afford this, um, is try your best to connect with other parents. 
the sole reason I started my blog is just to be able to reach out to other dads. I love all the heart mom resources. The heart moms are very strong and powerful, and we love them. But the heart dad stuff is kind of thin. <laughs> so, And I know guys are really different. We're wired different. I think everybody knows that, and uh, good and bad. You know, it, it's really good to be able to make a connection because in those connections, you're going to learn about people's experiences and what hopefully to expect, at least a little bit. Every child is different. But what I would encourage parents to do is really talk with each other. Talk with each other about what is this really going to look like and, and what are your concerns. And be, be really honest with each other. Like, I'm scared that we're not going to be able to afford this. Okay, that's a really real feeling and that's a, a real mm-hmm. possibility of happening that, that things are really, really expensive and it's emotionally taxing, it's financially taxing, it takes up all your time and all your energy, you know, and you're gonna have to be willing to pour all that into into your child and into your life. This is your new life. Congratulations. And, you know, you're gonna <laughs> have to be able to, to kind of go with it and sit down and have that conversation. Say, if we both can't work and if one of us has to stay home, who is it going to be? You know, just try to have these conversations ahead of time and kind of put all that out there because I'd hate to think what it's like when people haven't kind of decided that or even thought about it beforehand and you don't want to lead into, you know, having arguments about these types of things when you're already in a high-stress situation. And talk mm-hmm. it out. Find other people. You know, this, this this show right here is a great example of what other people have done because, you know, I went back to work, and that might work for people, and it might not work for people. You know, those options are out there. And really find and reach out and talk to the people who have been through what you're about to go through and find out what they did. That's excellent advice. Thank you so much, Chris, for coming on the show and for sharing with us. We need to take a quick commercial break, but don't leave. Coming up, we okay. have another hard dad who was a stay-at-home dad but now is a working dad. We'll discover how he feels about both situations and how he feels about being back in the workforce when we return to Heart to Heart with Anna. Anna Jaworski has written several books to empower the congenital heart defect, or CHD, community. These books can be found at Amazon.com or at her website, www.babyheartspress.com. Her bestseller is The Heart of a Mother, an anthology of stories written by women for women in the CHD community. Anna's other books, My Brother Needs an Operation, The Heart of a Father, and Hypoplastic Left Heart Syndrome, a handbook for parents, will help you understand that you are not alone. Visit babyheartspress.com to find out more. Welcome back to our show, Heart to Heart with Anna, a show for the congenital heart defect community. Today we are talking with heart dads Chris Perez and Michael Madsen. We just finished talking with Chris about his experience of being in the workforce while being dad to a child with HLHS. Now we'll turn our attention to Michael Madsen. Michael Madsen's son, Gabe, has congenital heart defects that have influenced his life in many ways. Gabe, now 13 years old, had septal and aortic defects, repaired as an infant, and just before kindergarten, he had a quote-unquote tune-up, according to the surgeon, to remove a subaortic membrane. At that time, electrical connectivity was affected, and unexpectedly, Gabe became pacemaker-dependent. Subsequent surgeries to adjust and replace devices have been additional milestones in Gabe's development. Gabe is an avid baseball player and mountain biker who doesn't allow his history to affect his present activities or future plans. As an infant, Mike and Gabe shared a special bond. Mike, then in graduate school, was Gabe's daily companion while his mom worked. A regular schedule of play, snacks, meals, and naps broken up by medications and classes, yes, Gabe would attend too, was the norm. Once gamefully employed, Mike traveled for work quite often. Every day with Gabe became one or two days a week at the most. That early one-on-one period was a very special time in Mike's life, one that he comes back to often when alone with his thoughts. Mike is now married to Aaron Salisbury, who puts up with a lot as wife and stepmom to Gabe and Alice. Welcome to Heart to Heart with Anna, Michael. Yeah, hi. How are you today? It's very good to talk to you, and for our listeners who don't know, you and I have a long history together, because Michael actually wrote, yes, he wrote for my book, The Heart of a Father, and I thought it was interesting how Chris said that the dad's perspective is often kind of overshadowed by the moms who are out there and blogging and talking about it so much, but you dads seem to be a little bit quieter 
which is why I felt the heart of a father needed to be written and put out there. Thank you for coming on my show and giving me a chance to talk to you some more, Michael. You bet. It was great to listen to Chris as well. He has a lot of great things to say. I know. I know. I bet you were reliving a lot of things as he was talking about you. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, it's very therapeutic. <laughs> I think so, too. That's one of the things I liked about what Chris was talking about, how he said he felt that connectivity was so important. And to me, that was one of the most important things about putting together the books that I wrote, was connecting with moms and connecting with dads and finding out that, yes, one child might have Tetralogy of Fallot and another might have Transposition of the Great Vessels and another might have HLHS, but we all feel the same way. We're all going through the same things. And I think that common experience and knowing the way that we felt, the fears that we had, the great joys for little milestones, but how everything was kind of magnified because of our children's heart defects, it made us a really close community. Don't you feel that way, Michael? Yeah, definitely. Being a part of that when when you were putting that together so many years ago, I guess, what, 12 years ago, something like that, Anna? I mean, at the time, there weren't that many outlets for dads to talk about these things or even really kind of collect their thoughts and try to put them on paper. And it it was, like I said, it was very therapeutic for me at the time to do that and also to try to share my experience with others through the Baby Hearts Press vehicle. So it was a very good experience. And and it actually, I think, brought me closer to my son just because I'm able to process it a little bit more. You know, once you start thinking about it some more and you can start putting things in perspective, it it does help you. It does help you process. I think it does too. I think that reflection that we're required to do when we're writing or we're talking about it, I think it helps us to process how we're feeling. Like Chris and I were talking about, I think we all have PTSD from having Mm -hmm. handed our children over to surgeons. And I don't think that a lot of us can process it at the time. We're doing what we have to do in order for our children to survive. But you can't think about it too much because you just have to act. I mean, I felt like I was in robotic mode for a good part of Alex's hospitalization and maybe even some of his recovery. And it wasn't until later when I was writing about it and talking about it with other parents that I was able to really process what we had gone through and look back and say to myself, oh, my gosh, how did we get through that? Did you have that Mm -hmm. feeling too? Yeah, definitely. And with subsequent surgery and uh, device implants and and other things that that, uh, Gabe's had to go through, it's not so much of a shock when when you go through it again, uh, although, you know, each time is different, presents mm-hmm. different challenges. And I think you're able to, because you're in the community, because you're speaking about it, talking about it, you know, write, writing about it and listening to other folks, what they have to say about it, boy, it really does help you prepare for whatever it is that your children have to deal with. I mean, Chris hit the nail on the head there when he said, you know, becoming a part of the community is important mm-hmm. for affecting parents of THD kids. It, it really is a valuable tool to help you be a better parent to those kids. I think so, too. I loved your essay. For those of you who may have a copy of The Heart of a Father, if you turn to page 70, you can see Michael's essay, which is called Stay at Home Dad. And you actually talked about your wife's and your decision to put Gabe in daycare as little as possible. That's often a reason people decide to stay home with their heart children. Can you tell us about what it was like staying at home for Gabe? Did he have fewer infections and hospitalizations than you think he may have had if he had been put in a daycare situation? I think so. I think so. I mean, it's hard to say, but I think that that's definitely an outcome of that time. You know, and also, I think we were best prepared to assist him. You know, we lived in a small community in in, uh, northern Michigan, and, and being in grad school, Having the flexibility that I did made it a little bit easier to be a stay-at-home dad. But being in a small community, there weren't a lot of resources for kids like Gabe, particularly in the child care world. Most of the child care providers weren't necessarily equipped to deal with him. So it was a pretty clear choice, but nevertheless, it was not expected. I mean, we knew we were going to have a baby when I was going to grad school for the first year, and you know that was enough of a shock. But then uh, <laughs> once... <laughs> And he was not diagnosed ahead of time. He was not diagnosed until he was in heart failure, in critical condition. And just the doctors there just were not equipped, like I said, to, to understand what he was going through. And other jaundice and other things were masking a lot of his defects. And that meant that we felt we just did not have the resources. We didn't have family around. So it was a pretty clear choice. Let's uh, let's take care of him as best we can ourselves and 
move forward, but that required education. We had to really mm-hmm. understand what it, what it was we were dealing with. Resources like yours, we became aware of, and others uh, that uh, you know that were that were there for us when we needed them, when we didn't have much else, including the doctors in our community who just weren't really prepared to deal with it. I couldn't agree more. Now, my son is a little bit older than yours. He'll be 20 in August of 2014, and there really weren't very many resources at all. And very sadly, a lot of the resources that were published said that all babies with HLHS, which is what my son was diagnosed with, that they died in infancy, which, of course, is not what a parent wants to read. So how could I optimize his chances for survival? And just like your son, my son was not diagnosed in utero. He was not diagnosed until he was in congestive heart failure. He also had jaundice and other conditions that were masking what his real problem was. They kept Mm -hmm. telling me he was petite and he had breast milk jaundice and this and that. And it wasn't Mm -hmm. until he was critical that he was finally diagnosed. And just like you, we were in a small community that was not prepared to handle a kid like him. So we were rushed by ambulance. And this tells you how long ago this was because they didn't have a helicopter back then in the hospital in our town. (laughs) So we were rushed by ambulance down the highway three hours to the facility that would eventually save my son's life. So I can totally understand what you were going through. It's harrowing. (laughs) Yeah, we had had the same experience. We we had to drive Gabe three hours to Marquette so they could put him on a helicopter to take him to Ann Arbor. It was just an amazing, amazing process. But again, Mm -hmm. you know, with time and with experience and with education and publications and and shows like this, the word gets out and, and people can understand better that they can do it. Kids can do it. That's right. We have hope that they can make it mm-hmm. and that we just don't just give up on them, which is really critical. I wanted to talk about your essay. On page 73, you said, That lesson of relinquishing the pressures and pains of professional life to enjoy the beauty of my growing family has been the most important one I've learned. I really loved that sentence that you had there, and I was hoping maybe you could tell us a little bit more about that and how you wrote that a long time ago. How has your feeling <laughs> grown about that today? How do you feel about that today? Well, well you're going to put me on the spot for that, huh? Um, no, it's good. <laughs> I think that that's, that was an important statement to make at the time. You know, you're so focused on your career, and I was going to grad school to advance my career and to make things better for myself and my family and my son. And, you know, you just got to kind of let go of that. Chris said it well, too, that you just got to have to reprioritize. And you have to shift the way you think about where you are in the world to not only accommodate this child, but also a child with CHD. It's not a, a decision that we're trained for as parents, and especially as dads, too, because, you know, we're supposed to provide and, you know, we're supposed to go earn the paycheck and get the insurance and do all the things we need to do in order to take care of our families. And when you throw in all those complications, it does throw you for a loop. But you have to take a step back and refocus and understand that when doing all of that to support your family and your child, you know, that's good and all, but it really is about the child and their development. So educating yourself about the child, taking a break from work and really focusing on the child is really what they need. You know, the doctors can take care of all the complex stuff, but the day-to-day and the love, that's just that's what you have to give them. So that was a, a switch that I had to turn on in my head. I think so, too. And I think unless you're facing a life-threatening condition, like what we are with our children with critical congenital mm-hmm. heart defects, you may not ever experience that. You may not even realize that. It's so easy to get caught up in the rat race and to think, oh, I need a better car, we need a bigger house, we need a better vacation, mm-hmm. we need this or that. But when you have this child with a life-threatening illness, all you want is good health. All you want is for your yeah. body to survive. And yeah, you know, it's exactly. right. You're, you're so right. You reprioritize everything, and it's amazing how your priorities change. And all mm-hmm. of a sudden, what's most important is just spending time, just having mm-hmm. that time with each other. Mm-hmm. In your essay, you worried that focusing on your son during that early time might hurt you professionally in the long run. What has been the actual case now that you've had some time past all that? I think just the opposite. And I think Chris mentioned this as well. Insurance is your top priority. As a parent of a CHD child, try to find that Cadillac plan, the one that you know you need. You hope you don't need it, but if you do, you know you got it. And 
job interview, every subsequent transfer from one job to another, working, moving on from one, one job to another, that's always the first question. What is your health care plan? What are your premiums? What kind of coverage do you have? Is it a group plan? You know, I have a son with congenital heart defect. You know, I can't get caught in the old pre-existing condition thing. I need to be able to provide that from the get-go. I think that took some employers aback a little bit. For a while, I think that was it took them aback when I would switch jobs. My most recent position, I said that right away during the interview, and they all understood. They'd heard it many times before, and I think that's on every parent's mind, not just those with kids with CHD, but having that health care is, is essential. So to uh, answer your question more exactly, I think it has made me better because I think I appreciate what I do have when I am employed. The benefit package that I have, it's not always about salary and title and position, but looking at the whole benefit package with insurance makes me really appreciate what we have because that's in America, that's a, that's really what we got to do. You know, we got we got to work to have insurance. I think it's made me a better employee makes me appreciate my work and what they offer my family. Well, and it doesn't seem like that time off. Of course, you were in graduate school, so it's not like you were just a stay-at-home dad who was a full-time graduate student. So that's a little bit different than some cases. Like with me, I wasn't a graduate student when I was staying home with my children. I was solely focused on my children. I wondered about that, too. If After I finished raising my children, if I wanted to go back to the workforce, would they see all that time that I had taken off to raise my children as potentially unemployable? But doesn't sound like that's been a problem for you. You've been able to get a job and to apply for several different jobs, and it sounds like you've been able to be selective about where you've chosen to work. Yeah, yeah, I have, and maybe that's the nature of my work and just how specific it is, but uh, regardless, you know, it's it's made me, uh, made me appreciate working more. Well, now you're the dad of an early teen. I cannot believe oh, Gabe is 13. Is that just so amazing? <laughs> yeah, it's amazing, and, yeah. So how is it different now that you've got a preteen, or now he's actually teenaged, and a working dad versus when he was a little baby and you were the stay-at-home dad who was with him all the time? What do you miss most with Gabe? Regarding his heart, I think the time that we shared together when he was very young, it was very focused on him and his heart. And that was special. It was just something that only we experienced and not many other parents did, Mm -hmm. except those with kids with CHD. Now, as he grows up, it's more of a, maybe not so much working dad, but talking to him about as he grows, what he can expect to encounter in life and the decisions that he has to make. It's a different kind of education. You know, before it's all just you take care of him and you basically put him on lockdown and make sure everything's okay. Well, he's 13. He's a little free now. <laughs> he's freer, I should mm-hmm. say. I'm going to be experiencing more things. So, you know, I'm not always around when I'm traveling for work to have those conversations with him about what he might see at school or the things that he might experience. And when he's away from home, the world's pretty big. And Gabe's going to have to make choices just like all kids do in the future. And we've started to have those conversations about healthy choices as a teenager, the things that he needs to do that make him different than the other kids. And I guess working and traveling as much as I have in the recent past, I miss out on some of those opportunities to discuss those things smoking, drinking, drugs, just like you have normal conversations with kids, but they're different, these CHD kids. They're they're different. They have to be even more selective in in how they manage their healthy lifestyles moving forward. Things like exercise, eating right, having those conversations. I have to schedule them a little bit more than than I thought, so being a traveling dad. Right. Right. You're not having them every day, all day long because you're not there every day, all day long. And even if he were, he wouldn't be there. (laughs) He would be at school. He would be doing his extracurricular activities. It sounds like he's quite an athlete. And so even if you were home, he might not be there anyway. So do you think that maybe having to schedule it actually makes you think about it a little bit more, make sure that you don't miss those opportunities to talk to him about those things? Yeah, Mm -hmm. definitely, Anna. Yeah, you bet. You bet. Yeah. And then, of course, Figuring out what to say and how to say it is uh, is always uh, always good when you're dealing with teenagers. So uh, yeah, I appreciate the extra time and ability to to plan it. Well, Michael, what advice would you give to parents who can adjust their schedule so one parent could be home with their baby in those early years, like you and your wife mm-hmm. were able to do? To echo what what Chris said, you know, you just make the decision, and you know, if if you kind of weigh the insurance plans that you're both looking at or you're weighing the, the salaries, you're weighing the family input, you're you're weighing all of those things and, you know, asking for advice, uh, talking to folks in the community, uh, talking to your doctors, talking to your family members, being open to suggestions about how to manage it. We all think 
we can manage our lives and our families just fine. But really being open to suggestions and learning from other people's experiences, I think, is the best way. Because when it does happen, it's not going to ever turn out like you thought it would. It'll be be just as... It'll be just as great or even better. Not a bad thing, but it just won't be what you thought it would. So you might as well mm-hmm. learn from others if you can. Mm-hmm. Oh, I think that's wonderful. That's beautiful advice. Thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing with us, Michael, and also for contributing to the heart of a father. I reread your essay before coming on the show again, and it took me back. <laughs> you know, it took me mm-hmm. back to when we were working on the book and how we had those conversations back and forth and how I was communicating with you and all of the other dads. And that was a really special time. I actually spent 10 years working on that book and developed a really special relationship. So it's so nice when I have a chance to reconnect and find out how the kids are doing. I'm so excited that Gabe is doing well and that you seem to be doing so well. And here we are talking about being a work dad or a stay-at-home dad. So don't leave yet. We do have to take one quick commercial break, but when we come back... We will all be in the studio together, you and Chris and I, and we'll have a chance to say a few more things before we have to conclude the show. So hold on. We'll be right back with Heart to Heart with Anna. Texas Heart Institute were offering us a mechanical heart, and he said, no, Dad, I've had enough. Give it to someone who's worthy. My father promised me a golden dress to twirl in. He held my hand and asked me where I wanted to go. Whatever strife or conflict that we experienced in our long career together was always healed by humor. Heart to Heart with Michael. Please join us every Thursday at noon Eastern as we talk with people from around the world who have experienced those most difficult moments. Welcome back to our show, Heart to Heart with Anna, a show for the congenital heart defect community. Today we are talking with heart dads Chris Perez and Michael Madsen. We just finished talking with Chris and Michael about their experiences of being working dads, or Michael being a stay-at-home dad with his newborn, and then becoming a working dad. And I want to thank both of my guests, Chris and Michael, for coming on the show today. I think this is such an important issue, and it's certainly one that all of us face when we're told that we have a child with a congenital heart defect. And I think that a lot of people don't realize some of the decisions that have to be made. And I think Chris and Michael did a really good job of pointing out a lot of the different aspects of our lives that are affected by having a child with a heart defect. Now we're going to all be in the studio at the same time, and I'm going to give Chris opportunity first to say if he has a question for Michael or if he had another thought after our segment or when I talked to Michael, if it made him think of something that he would like to share before we end up having to close the show. So welcome back, Chris. Hey, happy to be back. I think if there's one thought I had to share, it was definitely from my perspective. Thank you, Michael, for sharing what you shared. A great perspective for the things that having kids at my age, things I have to look forward to when when my kids hit the teens. They're only 19 months, and Mm -hmm. it's definitely that good perspective. And it really ties in well to what I was talking about, about making those, those connections. My heart child is really young. I have yet to go through all the things that there are to go through. I've been through a lot but not all of it. And so just listening to Michael talk about the conversations that he has to have with Gabe and things like that, about how those types of things are different, really made me just stop and say, huh, I haven't thought about that before. And, and those are the types of things that I encourage, you know, heart parents to stop and do. Stop and continue to make those connections because when you make it through surgery number one or two or three, being a heart parent is not going to stop. And those challenges aren't going to stop. And we have to constantly be aware and share those things. And so, Thank you, Michael, for sharing, and I will pack those away in my mind for years down the line, and I'll say I'll remember when Michael said this, when we have those conversations, for sure. Call me anytime. (laughs) It's always so much fun for me to listen to parents of newborns or parents of just babies, infants, little ones that aren't even really walking yet and aren't really talking much because that takes me back to what it was like when Alex was little, and it seems like just yesterday, doesn't it, Michael? Yeah, it does. No, listening to Chris, I mean, it's just it. Those uh, emotions come back, and and you start to think about the details. There's the big picture part of it, which is you know, then you went through surgery, and there was this and that. But then the little details is the stuff that I fear sometimes, just because it was traumatic at the time. But also, those are some of the best memories of my life. So listening to him talk about his experience with Nolan has been been uh, for me during this uh, during this as well. I appreciate that. Thank you, Chris. I'm happy to do it. Thank you for taking part in this with me. You bet. I love how both of you felt that it was important to share 
through writing, and that's really fairly unusual. One of the reasons it took me 10 years to put together The Heart of a Father was because it was difficult to get men to talk about their feelings and to be willing to share different aspects of their lives that were affected by having a child with a congenital heart defect. So I think you two are very unique in your willingness to come forward and first to share in writing, both of you, Chris through your blog and Michael through your contribution to the book, and now to be talking about it on the air. So I want to commend you for doing that because I have a feeling your voices would echo so many other heart dads' voices who might not really know how to articulate what it is that they want to say. Yeah, I don't know how many times I had to rewrite that that chapter of the book just because it, it's not it's not normal for a Midwestern man to talk about his feelings, but uh, you know, it, it is it is what it is. Um, you know, I, I was grateful for the opportunity, but yeah, no, I, I think it's important to do that. I mean, that's that's the way you're going to process it. That's the way to do it. I think. I for think sure, I, I agree. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. It's hard to relive those memories sometimes when you have to sit and write about it, but I think it's healthy to to sit and write. And I, I remember I, I wrote some blog posts. I think it was like my 100th post, and I said, I honestly don't really know if people actually read this thing. <laughs> and Because I, I there were times where I said, I don't know if anybody's reading this, and should I keep doing it or not? And I just kept on pushing, and I, and I did get a comment from somebody that says, we're reading, I promise. And um, <laughs> I've, I've had the chance to to make connections with dad and mom and lots of really great people that have, have read the blog and you have to pull up those stats and see like who read it and from where. And I'm like, Hey, somebody from Iran read it today. And that's exciting. But you know, I'm, I'm hoping that it, that it makes some kind of connection um, with them because sometimes it's really hard to put yourself out there and really dig up those emotions again. For me, I think it's, it's been really worth it. And I hope that one day soldier, he'll be able to see that and say, wow, my dad really did a lot for me or he'll just think I'm nuts. I don't know, but, I think it's all worth it. I think it's worth it, too. We lose a certain amount of anonymity, and it makes us vulnerable to do that because it opens us up to criticism from others and or pity, which none of us wants. We don't want anyone's pity. We would like people's empathy. We'd like them to understand or try to put themselves in our shoes. But the last thing we want is for people to pity us. And I think that by writing and communicating, whether it's on the air like this or in writing, we deepen ourselves. But I think it's a valuable thing for us to do, and I think the pros far outweigh the cons. Well, gentlemen, I can't believe it, but our show has to come to a conclusion now. We are oh, out no. of time. I know. I can't believe it. It happened so fast. Thank you so much for coming on the show. I know that your feelings and your thoughts and words are going to echo what so many other heart dads and probably heart moms, too, are feeling regarding whether or not they should stay at home or go back to work. So that does conclude this episode of Heart to Heart with Anna. Please come back next week on Tuesday at noon Eastern Time. Until then, please find and like us on Facebook. Check out our website, hearttoheartwithanna.com. And remember, my friends, there is hope. Thank you again for joining us this week. We hope you've been inspired and empowered to become an advocate for the congenital heart defect community. Heart to Heart with Anna with your host, Anna Jaworski, can be heard every Tuesday at 12 noon Eastern Time. We'll talk again next week. Music.